but it really finds its root in verse 5, uh, which we've already worked our way through. But I want to read again, therefore, the king, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And then Joshua gets the call and they respond and they go and there's the war that God sustains them through the long day. And we've you know studied our way through all of the particulars there. You come to verse 16. It says, but these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Makeda. Uh, so, um, you know, not necessarily an endorsement of any particular power tool, but, you know, Makeda is mentioned in the Bible. You can take that as far as you want. Um, they hide themselves in a cave, uh, you know, seeing what's happened to their armies. That's generally the way that kings functioned during this time was to be in positions of command where they could oversee and call for certain movements and actions. And so when they saw that the failure had come, they flee to this place in order to hide themselves. Verse 17, it was told Joshua saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. So Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them because Joshua is still engaged in the conflict and he's going to continue for a little bit here in order to complete these things. But he wants the judgment and ultimately, spoiler alert, the execution of these kings. He needs that to be public uh, for the sake of the people, that they can see uh, the judgment of God being wrought upon these kings, and it's very significant because um, uh, we're going to look at it in a couple different ways. But um, previously, the nation of Israel, uh, knowing of these kings in the land, were completely intimidated by them. Uh, they, they were, you know, moved to the place of cowardice and inaction because of them. And now that they're going to be conquered, Joshua seemingly hearing from the Lord, wants to make a ceremony of the fact that these are being conquered by the Lord right now so that everyone has that understanding. And I think you see the spiritual application in your own life, uh, that the things that controlled us and dominated us in the past, when the Lord uh, destroys them in our lives, he wants it to be a milestone for us. He doesn't want us to just look back years later and go, huh, where did that go? You know, how did that happen? He wants it to be the sort of thing that you take note in the most graphic of ways as to what the Lord has done and is doing here. So reserve that, you know, put them in the cave, large stones, set a guard. Do not stay uh, there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities and all the people returned to the camp 
to Joshua and Makeda in peace. And you're going to hear this a couple times. And, you know, there is this philosophy, you know, the world wants peace. And here, the Lord is making that dem demonstration again that here, peace is accomplished through conquest. Okay? It's in victory that you discover peace. Our culture has developed this attitude of tolerance, you know, where everyone has a very high degree of apathy and, you know, non-involvement. And it really does come down to you got to get in the fight. You know, not, you know, just socially, but in your own life. You have to attack and address these things uh, that dominate us and conquer us and enslave us. Uh, there has to be some grit. There has to be some teeth in the process. And that's where the peace is found here. So verse 21, no one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. So those that had been so braggadocious previously and had been so blasphemous and sacrilegious in their addressing and mocking Israel. Now their mouths are shut. You know, um, uh, Lori and I just having a conversation this morning about a series of things uh, we had been involved in. And in the time, I was lending counsel to say, this is a bad idea, shouldn't go this direction, you know, don't want to do that with your life and ignore and brush off and push away. And then what develops? Every single thing that is not my wisdom, right? All I'm doing, I'm, I'm just taking what's in the scripture and saying, look, I've had my own experiences and I'm telling you, I can see how that's going to turn out. And if you ignore that, if we ignore that, when we ignore that, we get to pay the consequences and I'll remind us all again, right? Benjamin Franklin saying experience is a dear teacher. And we think of that as, you know, he's referring to her so affectionately, you know, experience. And he really, it was that old English term, dear meant very expensive, right? Ex experience is a very expensive teacher. You don't want to learn that way. Much, much better to read the book and go, hey, there's the wisdom. I'll apply that to my life. And not have to go through, right, the, the process of trial and error. <laughs> error. Error. Over and over again, right? Until you've eventually learned. That's very, very costly here. <coughs> Excuse me. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so. Brought out those Five kings to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that he called all, for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these men, these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Uh, that, that is a really uncomfortable position to be in. You know, one of five kings, all of these commanders gather forward, you know, one, two, 20 boots on your neck. Um, that's that's going to be a very humiliating moment. Then Joshua said to them, do not be afraid. 
nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Now the Lord is going to say here shortly that they should be encouraged because they are discouraged. We should never think of uh, our emotions as necessarily being true. Okay? At times, you're going to run into situations where you're very depressed. But if you look at what's actually going on in your life, uh, your emotions are perhaps probably different than what they should be, right? You know, even if you have a struggles, you know, look at what you do have and think of what you can be thankful for, right? I'm not trying to be some Hallmark card here, but... Um, You know, having our families, being in the word, seeing God's provision to whatever degree we have it. Uh, You know, most of the world has it so much worse than us. And the Lord is, you know, given us a a great deal in this process. He, He wants these men to put their boot on their neck so they understand what you were so afraid of. You need to address. I don't know about you, uh, but... Um, as a kid, I learned that whole thing of if it scared me, then I needed to probably charge straight at it. Um, you know, didn't always work out well, but it, you know, it it, uh, it certainly was a way to address the issue. Uh, you know, running from it, hiding from it, staying away from it. It just kept me in a place of torment. You know, going forward with it and addressing it. Here, that's exactly what Joshua wants them to do. He needs them to move forward uh, and be even stronger. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. Uh, Remember how this was the command of the Lord when he takes the reins and the authority of Israel from Moses and he hands them over to Joshua. The word that the Lord gave him was be strong and of good courage. And now we hear the same thing coming from Joshua to the men that he's leading. Paul saying to us in Corinthians how we are able to comfort people with the comfort we have been comforted with, right? God working in our lives and being able to minister to others and share with them the things the Lord has taught us. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. So this is your present state. But this is your future state also. God's strength is being promised. Afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded that they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had hidden, laid large stones against the cave's mouth which remain until this very day. Um, Don't take this the wrong way, but hanging them on the trees is essentially like social media. It's public display. And that's the whole purpose, is to let the word's going to spread, right? Those from within Joshua's ranks, right? They don't have, they're not texting one another. Word is spreading by word of mouth, And they need it to be that there are the men who tormented you. 
And in that, let it be a public notice to any who would oppose us. This is the end of one of the greatest threats we've had up to this point. God is incrementally increasing their courage, increasing their fighting capabilities. They're learning all along the way, right? We've got to rewind all the way back to the fact that they were slaves, right? These weren't trained warriors when they were released out of Egypt. That generation has died and they've learned war. And now basic training's over. They're in the thick of the battle to regain this land and conquer it for themselves, <clears throat> taking them down. That's actually a sign of obedience and protecting these kings' dignity, as strange as that may be, right? Not going to leave them up there and let the, the birds just pick them apart, you know, until this location where they have been hung becomes some frightening haunt of, you know, don't go by there. You know, the remains of human bodies are strung up in the trees. It's a sort of attitude. You get the word out. You let the world know these men have been conquered and then lay them to rest. And it's time to move on. Uh, there's a, a powerful sort of, <coughs> excuse me, uh, message for us in that of not always finding our identity in what the Lord has delivered us from, okay? Uh, I, uh, one of my biggest qualms, I spent years in AA and NA. One of my biggest qualms is sitting there and saying, hi, I'm Will, I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic. Well, I'm not, okay? Christ has delivered me from that. I am no longer a drug, drug addict or an alcoholic, Okay, I don't have to leave these kings hung in their position, right? There's cigarettes and, you know, cocaine and LSD and, you know, saying, so look at what the Lord's delivered me from. You know, very often as I begin to talk to people today about what the Lord's done in my life, you know, 30 years ago, uh, they, they're shocked. They go, no way, that can't be true. That, why? Because they see such a difference today. Right? I don't have these on full display laid to rest. Deuteronomy chapter 21, beginning at verse 22. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance for he who is hanged is accursed of God, prophetically speaking of Jesus Christ, right? Placed upon the tree. And now go to the positive end of the spectrum, right? Not the negative kings or dominating things the Lord said, but Jesus Christ is no longer on the cross either, right? Okay. And the crucifix, uh, I find it a little bit offensive. My Lord is not on the, on the cross anymore. Uh, he is not even in the grave anymore, right? He is alive. He is functioning in my life, in your life today. So very often uh, what the Lord wants us to focus on is how the past conquests gives us freedom for the future rather than just dwelling on the past. Verse 28 of Joshua chapter 10. On that day, Joshua took Makeda and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. 
he let none remain. He also did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. We're going to hear that a couple times. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 24, uh, it tells us they burned Jericho and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and silver they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Uh, so uh, they killed and burned uh, all of the occupants of, of Jericho. And then that's what you're going to hear in each one of these subsequent cities. God's conquest and then utter destruction. Verse 29, Joshua passed from Makeda and all Israel with him to Libna. They fought against Libna, and the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did it to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. It is shocking the absolute degree to which the Lord calls for judgment. We, we shouldn't um, you know, make light of that, brush it off, redefine it. Utter destruction is what the Lord is calling for. And, uh, you know, there's there's something in that that you have to understand, right? God has been sending his ministers to all of these countries for centuries, inviting them to repentance, encouraging them to change and leave their sin. And they have grown in their sin rather than lessening. Rather, rather than repenting, rather than cleansing, they've gotten worse and worse and worse to the point where one of the things that God puts forward as the ultimate expression of rebellion is they're killing their own children. Okay, And again, the obvious uh, parallel with America and what's going on with abortion and, you know, how remarkable this week, I mean, you understand that there was an assassination attempt made against a Supreme Court justice this week, right? Where is the news talking about this? You know, heavily armed individual went to Brett Kavanaugh's house to kill him, captured by the Secret Service, taken into custody, like not even in mainstream media. How right? But I, you know, if if anyone. Uh, you know, dares do something that's offensive to the left. That will be just railed on for days from every aspect of the media. Uh, the wickedness of these countries, God wants it to stop. He's going to utterly destroy this nation so that there's nothing left. Why? <clears throat> because, you know, think about um, the, the nations that uh, have been destroyed, have been diminished, and the way we even see, right, like Tibet's been conquered by China. And like how many times have you seen, you know, bumper stickers or T-shirts, free Tibet, you know, and you get all this nationalistic pride. You know, uh, Ireland was, you know, prominently destroyed. Certainly the Gaelic culture and language uh, lost and destroyed by Great Britain. You know, a lot of people aren't even aware of that. Like, really? I had no idea. You know, like historically nearly wiped out. And yet, you know, any little remnant of it, you know, bring back the Gaelic music, bring back the Gaelic language, you know, try to reinstate which what was lost or nearly lost. Same thing here. The Lord is saying, no, we need to lose this culture. 
this sinful, wicked, self-destructive culture that has been attacking and destroying all of its neighbors, you know, the way that it was destroying its own children, that needs to come to an end. We need to end that so that it doesn't pollute and corrupt the surrounding nations, and especially the nation of Israel as they come in. And guess what happens? They don't utterly obey the Lord in destroying these nations. And we see the remnants rise within Israel until Israel is putting those idolatrous images in the temple, right? Sexually idolatrous images in the temple, and they're killing their own children. And the Lord brings his judgment against them. (laughs) So wiping them out as he did. uh, Verse 31, Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish and camped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel. He took it on the second day and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword according to all that he had done to Libna. Then uh, Horam, king of uh, Gezer, came up to help Lachish. Joshua struck him and his people until he left uh, him none remaining. So utter destruction there again also. From Lachish, Joshua passed on to Eglon and all of Israel with him. And they encamped against it and fought against it. They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword and all the people who were in it, he utterly destroyed that day, according to all they, he had done to Lachish. So, same method, same practice. He doesn't show any partiality to one of these groups more than the other. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron, and they fought against it. And they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword. Its king and all its cities and all the people who were in it, he left none remaining, and according to all that he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. Then Joshua returned and all the people with him to Deber, and they fought against it, took it and its king and all its cities. He struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining. As he had done to Hebron, he did to Deber and its kings as he had done also to Lachish and its kings. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country of the south and the lowland of the wilderness slopes, and all their kings, and he left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. Now, um, it's interesting how we, we see this big chunk of conquest that goes on here. And as we turn the page into the next chapter, we're going to see another level of conquest that goes on. What's significant is the Lord is actually doing this incrementally, right? There are are periods of time that are taking place as each of these conquests goes on. And God has stated that there's a reason behind that. Back in Exodus chapter 23, beginning at verse 29, the Lord said, I will not drive them out from before you in one year lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. Uh, The Lord will have his will 
in our lives if we are truly subjected to him. And certain things seem to linger. And what it comes down to is, one, our courage and strength and readiness to obey the Lord in those things. But then we're going to have to also occupy those positions. Okay? It isn't that, oh, I just went and throttled this you know, sinful area of my life and I took over. You're going to have to stay in that area. Okay, what do I mean by that? What was compelling us to behave in certain ways? I mean, you have to search your own soul pretty deeply to figure out why you do what you do. In the end, when the Lord conquers that thing and you can now say, this area of my life belongs to him, that means you're going to have to stay in that area and maintain it with the Lord. It isn't going to just be a thing where somebody magically waves the Bible over you and all of that just falls away, right? That would be wonderful, would it not, right? <clears throat> but the conquests over time that take place, and listen, think about this. Some of us have sat under teachers that falsely said that's how it was supposed to happen. Oh, we're just, you're gonna, here I declare, thus saith the Lord, and you're delivered. And now you're going to go home and live that way? What, what happens when it comes back in like a flood? Right? What happens? What, what, well, then what you're left feeling with is the defeat. Right? That ends up feeling like, well, I went in there. I, you know, kicked butt and took names. and I'm in charge. And now it's throttling me all over again. <clears throat> in time, over time, Christ will give you strength. You know the areas. The thing the thing you don't want to do is the area the Lord is talking to you about to make compromise with it. Right? Oh, well, you know, God has told every other Christian I know that this is wrong and that they should get rid of this in life. But with me and God, it's fine. I'll just leave it in place. You know, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, what you know, drinking, whatever. You know, as a Christian, can I? And then you fill in the blank. Um, if you're asking the question, then let me just say clearly the answer is no, you can't, you shouldn't, you know, <laughs> you should stop. But at the same time, I also know that God does these things over time incrementally. You know, we, we should not use, so what you, you got, uh, you got delivered, uh, from whatever struggle and area. Now you're dealing with a younger Christian who's got that same struggle. Are you being condemning? Are you being overwhelming with them? about where they're at? Did somebody snap their fingers and you were delivered? I don't think so, right? Long haul, you know, great deal of maturity, lots of weeding out along the way, right? God is so gracious within us. Yeah, again, don't let it be used as an excuse uh, to make provision for those things. Um, you know, God is saying, I'm going to do this over time, and I don't want you to just become a wilderness, you know, that you'd be overwhelmed by the beasts of the land. You know, you get rid of one thing in your life. I've seen this countless times. You know, somebody was a profound drinker and they stop drinking and now gambling dominates their life. You know what I'm saying? Or some other thing. It, it, you know, it needs to be that Christ dominates that area 
And then Christ becomes the thing that fills and fulfills us. You know, let it be your relationship with the Lord. 1041, Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings in their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. That's how they did it. Right? It isn't a, a man-made program. It isn't a series of steps that we take. It's because Christ fought for us. It's so interesting to me how many times in my life I wanted to see growth. I wanted to see maturity. I wanted to see change. And I came at it from every angle I could. And it was usually once I had thrown up my hands and given up and felt like, well, this is just going to be part of my life forever. Other Christians have seen victory, but apparently I'm just a loser and I'm defeated. And then I turn around and God has delivered me from it. And I'm left scratching my head like, how did that happen? You know, if I listen closely to the still small voice, it says to my heart and my mind, I was waiting for you to give up. You know, as long as you were going to do it in your strength, well, you know, I'm going to sit back and let you make those attempts. When you finally come to the place where you realize you have no power over these things and you give it over to me, then I can conquer those things. See, if God gets involved with your plan, I'm going to conquer this cell. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get up at 4.30 every morning. I'm going to read half the Bible, and then I'm going to go out and evangelize. And then, you know, you got all these different plans of what a super Christian you're going to be. And, you know, you, you about the fourth time you've hit the snooze alarm, you know, the next morning, and you haven't gotten up. And you're, if, if, if you took those steps and you did those things, and there was victory, then Christ doesn't get the glory. You, you get to say, well, it was my plan. Then you write your book and you publish it and everybody has to follow your devotional and do the things you did, right? And if they don't and they're still failing, then you can take the position of, well, it's not my book, it's not my method, it's, you're the problem. Because these are the things I did and this is how I conquered. Christ will give you victory and you will probably end up getting up very early in the morning and having devotions and doing a lot of those things. But in the end, it's Christ who has the victory. It's not us. It's not our strength that the Lord needs, right? All these kings and their land, Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. That's how the conquest came. Verse 43, then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. So again, the place of worship. Begin in the place of worship, go out, conquest. Where do they return to? To the place of worship, to the place of remembrance, to the place of 12 stones. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you should know them. If you don't, write it down. Make it one of your memorization projects. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And if you rely upon him in this way, then he will have the victory, he will have the conquest. Chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass, when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things, that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Akshath, and to the kings 
who were from the south in the mountains in the plains south of Kinneroth, in the lowland and in the heights of Dor on the west to the Canaanites in the east and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the mountains, the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. So they went out, they and all the armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude with very many horses and chariots. Guys, this is a massive escalation in warfare for Israel. They've never faced armies of this magnitude. They've had victories. Jericho, fortified city and walls, all they've experienced. Now it's much worse. Okay, If you have the mentality that as a Christian, I need to see certain milestones and achievements in my life. And there, now that I've passed them, it'll be easy street from here on out. Understand that if you've been awakened and you've been stirred to battle and warfare, so hasn't your enemy. He's not going to just go, wow, gosh, golly, they really have figured it out. They are going to arm themselves to the teeth, and they're coming straight for your throat. You know, good news. You know, the enemy's on the way. They aren't going to just sit back on their laurels, right? Do we do we understand the term of sitting back on your laurels when they would give the laurel crown to the victor at the Olympics? You can't just sit back on yesterday's victories and say, "Hey, we've we've arrived." They, they'll sneak attack you every time. When all the enemies had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. But the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time will deliver all of them slain before Israel. He shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Uh, to begin with, number one, don't be afraid. That's the first command. Don't be afraid. And, and that's the obvious first reaction is fear. So, so listen, don't be discouraged when the fear and the doubt overwhelms you. You should not think of that as anti-Christian, right? When even you've had victory, and now you see the second wave coming upon you. That's not you know, any concern when your heart just withers inside of your chest. Uh, here, the greatest warrior and the, the greatest history of Israel has to be told, don't be afraid, be encouraged. And he has to tell his people the same thing. They have to encourage themselves in the Lord. Secondly, don't take any of their tactics and capabilities and use them as your own. The horses and the chariots, right? That would be a, a great asset as far as carrying on in warfare. 
And the Lord says, no, I want you to destroy them first thing. That's what I want you to do. Horses and chariots destroy the whole lot. I don't want you to have them. They're not part of your battle. Don't want you to engage in that way at all. Seven, so Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Miram, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to the greater Sidon, to the brook of Mizrapoth, to the valley of Mizpah, eastward. They attacked them until they left none of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung the horses and burned their chariots with fire. He even goes as far as doing exactly what the Lord had told him to do with the military might and machinery of uh, their methods and practices. Um, I, I've shared with you recently, you know, this obnoxious thing of uh, this church airing the Super Bowl and handing beer out at the door. Real deal, confirmed, just barrels full of cans of beer and asking everyone that comes to the door, are you of age? Yes. Would you, would you like a beer? Giving out beers and inviting people into the church. Now, listen, <clears throat> from a worldly perspective of marketing, right, <clears throat> that's pretty stinking smart, right? Just lower the bar completely, right? You know, it's pretty easy to dunk when the hoop's only six feet off the ground. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, when you when you have pulled that which the Lord has declared as sin right down and said, no, no longer sin. Let's all participate this in this corporately. We'll do this. And as I approve of it, then you should be able to approve of it. It's really a very treacherous thing. You know, I had a conversation with a young pastor uh, years ago who uh, I was shocked because I was told that uh, they were they were having they were serving beer at his Bible study and they wasn't titled this, but they amongst themselves were referring to it as beerble study. It just is so stupid. Right. <clears throat> so as I confront him about it. He's very hesitant, he's ashamed, and he's sort of talking around the whole thing. And in the end, he confesses to me, um, and he does it in a weird way, and I was very angry and I had to control myself because he's trying to tell me that they're not drinking beer. And in the end, what he tells me is, no, they've been drinking hard alcohol. For they, They've been doing whiskey tasting at their, their Bible study. I mean... How are you going to take notes? You know what I'm saying? I just, sorry, just, you won't be able to read it later. It'll, I mean, it's just, it's a foolish endeavor. You know, how in the world could we ever tell somebody this is something that is approved by God? There are methods used by the world that should not be used by the church. And we have to be very cautious of anyone who do it hamstrung and burned with fire. Certain things don't belong to the Lord. Joshua turned back at that time, took Hazor and struck its king with a sword. Hazor was formerly the head of all these kingdoms. They struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazor with fire. 
So all the cities of those kings, all the kings Joshua took and struck at the edge of the sword, he utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. Now here's a beautiful thing, right? This is what he's been taught. The Lord taught Moses. Moses taught Joshua. Joshua has kept it in his heart. He now knows this is what the Lord is doing, and he's obeying it. He's not forsaking the spiritual spiritual heritage that has been handed down to him. There's something very significant about this. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazor only, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the children of Israel took as plunder for themselves. But they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them. And they left none breathing. As the Lord had commanded Moses' servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. You know, we see a younger generation of the church today forsaking the teachings of the older church, forsaking the things that are taught in the word of God. And as a result, the, the church is dying. And I mean dying. You know, 37% of those who fill the pulpit uh, do not believe that the word of God is true, inspired by the Holy Spirit, infallible. They've rejected it. They aren't even holding to what the Lord <coughs> has historically you know, been held to. This, guys, Some of you may remember Bangor Seminary when that was functioning. And um, just before it closed, there was a national survey done uh, of their student body. It had been done annually, but it hadn't been done accurately for a while. But just before it closed, they did a two-year study. And um, what they discovered is that Upon entering the seminary, 80% of the students who were entering believed in all the tenets of Christianity that I assume you and I do. You know, the, the Apostles' Creed, you know, the virgin birth, the infallibility of God's word, you know, all of the things that are so, you know, earmarked, you know, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, ascension to the right hand of the Father, all the things that are so essential. 80% of their student body coming in believed those things. In a two-year program, upon exit, the numbers were exactly reversed. 20% of them believed. 80% of them no longer believed. So, so that I, sem, cemetery um, uh, uh, was doing more to destroy people's faith than to build it. And that's what we discover is, uh, you know, the things that have been historically known and understood. I, I, I read online the different blogs and commentators, you know, just if it's labeled as a discerning ministry at all, you probably need to use your discernment and have nothing to do with it. Okay. They're, they're, what, what they really mean is I'm arrogant is usually what that means. I know better than everyone else. Thousands of years of the greatest scholars in the world have examined the word of God. And here I am in my mom's basement, um, and I've created a, you know, uh, 
web page and I have figured out all the things none of the theologians before me have figured out. You know, and, and everybody's impressed. Why? Because the graphics are cool. Right? I mean, you know, 10 weeks, Martin Luther sits in a monastery and he takes some 25 different uh, dialects of German and he creates one common language of German out of it. He literally changes the entirety of the German language for the German people and renders a German translation of the Bible in 10 weeks. Imagine the skill and understanding you would have to have, right? To accomplish that in such a way that all of the scholars that come after and examine his work confirm well, the guy's right. <laughs> it wasn't like he just junked this all together and handed it to the world and then the world has been tearing it apart ever since going, this guy had no idea what he was talking about. No, he, he put together with God-given, spirit-filled genius the word of God in such a way that it changed the world. Here, Joshua understands what the Lord is calling him to do through Moses, and he accomplishes it. Thus Joshua, verse 16, took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the lands of Goshen, the lowland, the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel, the lowlands, from Halak and the ascent of Seir, even as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings. He struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all these kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. And that's why uh, that's the clarifying verse as to the fact that the Gibeons are the Hivites. The Hivites are the Gibeonites. All the others they took in battle, for it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them and that he might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now I want to deal uh, just quickly, don't get scared about the time, I just want to deal quickly with this hardening of the heart because uh, there's the school of Calvinism that uh, wants to talk about all the predestination and, you know, particularly Pharaoh didn't have any choice and, you know, here these didn't have any choice and all of that nonsense. Uh, God is the same to everyone, okay? He extends his love, his grace, and his kindness to everyone. I don't think you have to imagine very long to understand there was a time in your life where God was pressing upon you, and you were resistant to it. You did not comply with it, and you ran away with it, and you even did things that were, you know, purposely contradictory towards it. Then something happened to your heart, and you broke, and maybe it was suddenly, maybe it was gradually, you began to give in. And you began to comply with God and his leading and all that he was saying. And you began to read the word of God differently and listen to prayers and then begin to pray differently. God wasn't behaving any differently towards you than he had been previously. You were reacting differently toward him. 
The way the scripture describes this hardening of the heart is the same as we would describe, you know, concrete and ice. The sun shines upon them both in exactly the same way. The concrete hardens. The ice melts. The question is, what is the condition of your heart? Right? And this is what is being said here. Right? These nations are already living in rebellion to God. They know of God's existence. Think about the confessions that they've made about we knew when you crossed over the Red Sea out of Egypt that we were already conquered. So then why didn't you show up at the Jordan and submit yourself to the invading army? Because you're living in rebellion to God. So this hardness of our God hardening their heart, right, is him demonstrating to them who he is, and they hate it. They oppose it. They live against it. Uh, so, you know, don't get the misperception that God is somehow, you know, doing something differently to this group of people that he's doing with the nation of Israel. He's showing himself in love to you this morning. To you in the past, to anyone who will listen, he's there inviting them into a loving relationship with himself. They're hardening themselves against the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. And at that time, Joshua came and cut off the Anakim. Anybody remember those guys? We'll talk in a moment. From the mountains, from Hebron to Deber to Anab, from all the mountains of Judah from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza and Gath and in Ashdod. Gath, right? So this is them coming into the land. You know, hundreds of years later, that's where Goliath comes from, is out of Gath, okay? And they have to contend with them at that point. Please make note right there of Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 through 33. I won't read the whole thing to you there, but maybe right next to verse 22 of chapter 11. Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 through 33. That is where they sent the spies into the land, and they come back with the massive report of there are giants in the land and they are going to kill us all and they're going to just feed upon us. We're going to become their meals. That's what's going to happen. They have this completely paranoid reaction to what the Lord has promised them. Hear me in this. The thing that they were most afraid of, right? Ten, ten men came back with a negative report and millions of people listened to their complaint and their fear and turned their hearts away from God's victory in their lives. Millions of people influenced by 10. You know, just think about what billions of dollars could do through, you know, national media outlets and hundreds of people who are all turning hearts and minds the wrong direction. So here... They come back, they complain, these are the giants, this is what's going to destroy us. The last of Israel's conquests are now the giants. 
God brings them into the land, gives them victory. Okay, feel good about that? You doing all right? Let's go get another one. All right, that had some failure to it, but let's correct ourselves. Now are we on our feet? Okay, let's rush forward into the next. And now let's just go through a couple chapters of one after the other, which takes a long period of time. But now we come down to what's the final enemy? Remember those giants you were so afraid of? How about we go destroy them now? And that's what the Lord does. Do you hear the patience of the Lord in that, you guys, for the nation of Israel and for you and me? That he's going to let you wander through the wilderness of sin, that your flesh would die and bring you back to the exact same place he had you before at the Jordan and say, are we ready now? And you cross over and you start having victory and God brings you to the place where now you're facing the giants that were the very reason you refused to cross over into that land in the beginning. And now God says, let's go get them together. Hear, hear what the Lord is saying to you in encouragement this morning. Lastly, verse 23. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Once again, right? Peace through victory. Peace through conquest. So very often, we're just laying on the couch saying, God, give me peace. And a lot of times what he's saying is, I could if you would get up off the couch. You know what I'm saying? We could, we could go throttle some things together. You'd be amazed at what we can do if you'll live in cooperation with me. Incrementally, little by little, God shows himself strong when we cooperate with him. Amen? Amen. All right. So that's what we have for today. Why don't we stand and we'll pray. Father, we are grateful for your love and your work in our lives. And I pray that you would help us each to surrender ourselves in obedience to you even more today and even more tomorrow and even more each day that you give us. That more and more your victory would be seen in our lives and in our circumstances. We recognize the need for it. We recognize the rightness of it. Help us to be men and women that submit to it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.